We've been reading this passage as a reminder to each of us as, as we work through our series in Proverbs of where ultimately God's wisdom and all the riches of his wisdom can be found, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and, and read Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Logan. Morning, church. If you join me as we pray, we look to God's word. Father, we pray you would quiet our hearts now uh, with the many thoughts and worries and anxieties we may have brought in to this service. We pray that you would uh, give us rest and peace from these. We pray for clarity of mind and heart to, to really hear from your word uh, how you intend our inner life to work, how we can make sense of ourselves the world we live in. And God, we pray we would honor you in all of these ways, but we pray you'd help us to do that even now in particular. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's, it's not hard to see that we are living through a very transitional period of history uh, where so much is changing so fast uh, that sometimes it's even hard to keep up with what exactly is changing and why it's changing. For example, there have been incredible advances in, in modern medicine. There's been unprecedented innovation in technology, especially in communication, the worldwide advent of social media. Uh, but, but even those more practical changes have also led and, and, and fueled in some ways more social changes. All these things have changed our work, for instance. Uh, we, we change jobs much more quickly. Most of us now, or many of us now, I should say, work from home in, in very different ways. Um, not to mention there are, have been incredible shifts in attitudes on issues, important issues like abortion, gender sexuality, and of course, um, also throwing in the mix of this, the politicization, politicization of virtually everything. But why are all these changes, especially these social changes, happening? And what is driving them to take place? Now, it's hard, of course, to pinpoint any one reason. Of course, there are many. Uh, but in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, the author Carl R. Truman argues that if there was any one unifying cause to many of these changes, especially the social ones, it has to do with incremental but dramatic shifts in the way that modern people think of the self, that is themselves, or who they are and what that means. The idea is that as a, a Judeo-Christian worldview has become far less dominant in our society, as it's replaced by a more secular worldview, increasingly people no longer see themselves as one small part of a much larger cosmic story. We just don't tend to think in those ways so much anymore. And as a result of these shifts, far more so than everything we once considered to be sacred, like God, the church, our families, for example, 
we have now elevated the individual self above them all. Uh, Since there is no authoritative church, per se, or even sacred text to tell us who we are and what it means to be human, we are all now free uh, to create our identity and to define it however we would like. As Truman says in his book, if the inner psychological life of the individual is sovereign, then identity becomes as potentially unlimited as the human imagination. Now, that may sound just like a, a... obscure theory to you, but the more you read it, the more you look out at the world and consider it, it's really hard to deny this is happening, uh, and the implications are colossal. Is this not the world we live in, Uh, where the greatest possible good is to be true to who you feel you are on the inside, and the greatest possible evil is to question anyone's understanding of themselves? Could it be that, in a sense, we are living through a kind of reformation even now, but it is not just a reformation of the church or any one institution, but a reformation of the self? It's easy to take this for granted. The way people conceive of their own identity and make sense of their place in the world has never changed so rapidly and so extensively. It is hard to even imagine the implications of this over time, but thankfully... God is not silent on the topic. Proverbs is filled with his timeless, heavenly wisdom for our self-understanding. And by that, I basically just mean how we should think about ourselves. Do we need more self-esteem? Should we be more self-critical? Are we all just a bit self-obsessed? This is the kind of wisdom we are after today. Uh, Throughout the Proverbs, there are repeated references to what is called the heart, which in Hebrew thought was far more than just an organ that pumps blood to the body. As Tim Mackey of the Bible Project puts it, the heart is the center of all parts of human experience, existence. rather. In other words, the heart is this invisible control center of our inner spiritual life, the part of us that makes sense of who we are and the world we live in and what it all means. In particular, in Proverbs 27, 19, we read this. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Just imagine looking into a pool of still water, and what is it that you see looking back? You see your face. In other words, the point here is that if you really want Uh, to accurately see a reflection of who a person is, then don't just watch what they do or even listen to what they say. You need to know what is inside their heart, what really makes them tick. How do they understand themselves and the world around them? That is the truest, most accurate reflection of who a person is. We're also encouraged in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart. Some translations say, guard your heart with all vigilance. And here's why. For from it flow the springs of life. So interestingly enough, uh, without a doubt, the scriptures do place a very high value actually on the inner life of an individual. But what we're going to see is there is much folly in our modern notions of the self and how inner life even works. And as a result, when it comes to our self-understanding these days, it is harder than ever to be wise. We need God's 
wisdom to make sense of who we are. In particular, we're going to see three important truths from the Proverbs of our self-understanding. And the first one is this. It's very simple. We cannot trust it. We cannot trust our self-understanding. Deeply embedded in any serious biblical worldview is this idea that human beings are sinful, which is to say we are spiritually corrupt. We are primarily self-interested. We are not to be trusted. Uh, in fact, uh, the essence of sin itself is, is really to idolize and to supremely value ourselves even above God. And unfortunately, none of us is immune from that spiritual condition. We see in Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. This is a rhetorical question. <laughs> right? The answer is presumed to be no one. No one, in and of ourselves, we can't just get around or avoid or correct for this problem of sin. And our sin has devastating and distorting effects on our self-understanding. Uh, throughout the Proverbs, there are also references to what people think about themselves, quote, in their own minds or in their eyes. And I have to tell you, it is never good what they think of themselves in their mind, in their eyes. Uh, here are a few examples. Uh, verse 20, chapter 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Notice, to walk in wisdom is, is basically the exact opposite of trusting in your own mind. To walk in wisdom, we have to consciously decide not actually to trust in our own minds, in our inner lives. Uh, here's another one, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Notice, even when wisdom is our goal, even when wisdom is what we want, even when wisdom is what we strive after, if we try to get it in and of ourselves as if we're just naturally wise, then we're really just being fools. All of Scripture, including Proverbs, also refers to a person's way or the way of a man, right? And this is basically the spiritual quality and trajectory of their entire life. Uh, th this is the inner reality of our life that leads to the outer reality of our life. This is our way. And here's what we read in Proverbs about the ways of human beings. Chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. This is why we cannot trust in our own inner life, our own sense of who we are, because as we see in chapter 16, verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. So there is this consistent refrain. Our self-understanding, our inner life, it's off base. It, it is warped. We tend to think we are very good and wise in ways we are neither good nor wise. And therefore, if we just blindly trust in our own inner sense of who we are without ever checking it, without ever allowing that to be corrected by God and others, we will live a foolish life. There's one way to shipwreck our inner life and our self-understanding. It is to blindly trust it. 
Just embrace everything you think and feel about yourself. Live as if it is undeniably true. You can be certain of it, and no one could ever convince you otherwise. And I want you to notice that is exactly what we are encouraged to do at virtually every turn in the modern world. Listen to your heart. Be true to yourself. Live your truth. Go get your best life. And so what about you? Are you sufficiently skeptical of your own self-understanding? Now, I want you to really think about this one because, again, it, it is much harder and, I'm convinced, far more rare than it may seem. Uh, in another great little book, a really accessible read, it's more of a booklet than anything else, it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. He points out how uncommon it is, actually, to think in this way and even speaks a bit to why that is. He says this, it's a kind of an extended quote. He says, up until the 20th century, traditional cultures, and this is still true of most cultures in the world, always believed that too high a view of yourself was the root cause of all the evil in the world. What is the reason for most of the crime and violence in the world? Why are people abused? Why are people cruel? Traditionally, the answer was hubris, the Greek word meaning pride or too high a view of yourself. But in our modern Western culture, we have developed an utterly opposite cultural consensus. Uh, the basis of contemporary education, the way we treat incarcerated prisoners, the foundation of most legislation, and the starting point for modern counseling is exactly the opposite of the traditional consensus. He says, our belief today, and this is important, it, deeply, it is deeply rooted in everything. Our belief today is that people misbehave for lack of self-esteem and because they have too low a view of themselves. What I simply want us to appreciate here is that virtually everything about our world is designed to point us and keep us away from this age-old wisdom that we cannot be trusted to make sense of ourselves. We are terrible at doing that. And I want you to hear me. If we just go along with the current of our world, especially these days, that we will trust in our self-understanding and it will cause all kinds of spiritual problems in our life. And yet it will come so naturally to us as if we don't even know there is another option. We will run from one thing to the next, endlessly trying to create some identity for ourselves, and then we will recreate that identity the moment something goes wrong or our expectations are unmet. In describing this default instinct of most modern people, Carl Truman again writes this. He says, you have the power to transform yourself by the mere swipe of a credit card. The possession of this thing, that car, that kitchen, that item of clothing will make you a different, a better, a more fulfilled person. I, th I think we take this for granted, actually. But even this statement here uh, is in the scope of human history. It's relatively new. Uh, most people have not been able to swipe a credit card and get anything they want to give them any kind of... Most people's lives have been confined to basically where they could walk. Okay, so our life is so different and it has huge implications. This is not just one of many mistakes that a few people might stumble into here and now these days. This is the basic default assumption of our age. Not only that we can trust in ourselves, but of all the things we could trust in, we tend to believe that it is ourself and our self-understanding that is most worth our trust. It's most authoritative. 
Not only is that, of course, misguided, it's also profoundly dangerous to our souls. And as we see in Proverbs, it is the mark of a foolish heart. We do not get to define ourselves or create our own meaning in life. It is foolish of us to think we can or to trust in every feeling we have about ourselves. Church, we need to resolve now, today, and every day after to define ourselves by something other than ourselves. We need to consciously decide to humble ourselves, to, to step down off of the throne of our lives, to sit happily under the authority of God's word, to let it master and define us, uh, to live in loving fellowship with one another where we actually open up our inner lives to one another for the sake of wise counsel and accountability from others. This is why, by the way, if you're considering our meaningful membership class, that's much more than just like a Sam's Club thing for us. This is more than just like filling out a form. Uh, we talk about meaningful membership as if it's a spiritual thing. And in large part, this is in part why. We want to open our lives in this way to specific people. We want to give them actually authority over us in our life to remind us of who we are in Christ when we, as we often do, forget who we are in Christ. Now, if that sounds odd, if that sounds countercultural to you in a way, that's because it is. It is deeply countercultural. Many churches don't want to come anywhere close to talking in this way because these kinds of thoughts are there are so unpopular. It's like the hardest sell today to say, hey, actually don't live for yourself. Crucify your life in the flesh and be accountable to this actual religious community that confesses faith in a 2,000-year-old message about a dead and resurrected God-man. That goes over not so great these days. And yet, it is the way of Christ. It is the only way to have wisdom in our self-understanding. In the words of Christ himself, whoever finds his life... Oh, here it is. Here I am. This is me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. If we want to make sense of ourselves, we have to understand this. We cannot be trusted to make sense of ourselves. And yet at the same time, I think we're also going to see part two, we should not ignore our self-understanding. We cannot trust it, that's true, but we, we should not ignore it either. Uh, one response to all of this, which I imagine some of you may be tempted to think right now is, oh boy, what's all this philosophical nonsense we're talking about today? Why are we talking about this at church? Is this even, is this even biblical? Is this a bunch of psycho babble, as they call it? For many reasons, it can be tempted to just dismiss this kind of a topic altogether as if, if we just ignore that kind of stuff, it won't be a problem for us. Nothing could be further from the truth. As we've already seen in, in Proverbs and in all of Scripture, really, uh, there is a high value placed on the heart, the inner life, the spiritual life of the person, but more than that even, Throughout the Proverbs, it is not the one who thinks too much of his inner life who is labeled a fool. In fact, it is actually the person who thinks too little about their inner life 
Uh, Chapter 21 and verse 29 says, A wicked man puts on a bold face. He gives the impression that all is well, but the upright gives thought to his ways. You might hear that and think, okay, I don't get it. What does that mean? We have to remember that in Proverbs, mostly, usually in each proverb, Uh, wisdom and folly are being set in contrast to one another. So what we learn about the second thing in the proverb actually tells us something about the first thing in the proverb. In this case, for instance, this wicked man who puts on a bold face does not give thought to his ways. He ignores what's going on in his heart, and at all costs, he just makes it seem as if all is well within him. And notice, that does not make him wise. It makes him a fool. Fools are consistently described in this way in Proverbs as lacking self-reflection and awareness. It is their lack of self-reflection and awareness often that compels them to do all kinds of foolish things. They lie. They constantly lash out in anger, all because they are oblivious to what is going on in their heart and in their life. They're just reacting. Meanwhile, a wise person is thoughtful and self-controlled in their inner life. For example, chapter 16, verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You see that? Our inner life uh, is is corrupt. It, It cannot be trusted. That's true. But it must be ruled. Meanwhile, Verse, chapter 4, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Right? In other words, uh, fools do not see or understand all that much about their ways at all. They're constantly stumbling through life because they're not very good at discerning the content of their heart, making sense of who they are, where they're headed, what it all means. They're kind of just living in the dark on all those Things and they can't even see where they stumble. So as misguided as our inner life is, as important as it is that we not just blindly trust in it, at the same time, it is also foolish to try and ignore it. As if, ah, it's not that important. It is that important. In fact, one of the most important reasons we have to pay attention to our inner life is precisely because we cannot trust it. We need to protect our inner thought life from any number of wicked heart motivations that come, frankly, very naturally to us. Things like pride, greed, lust, envy, which can often drive our self-understanding in our way of life. Proverbs 14 in verse 30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy. Now I want to pause here. Envy. Let's think about that. When we think, ooh, I need to be like that person in some way, right? This is self-understanding. Envy in our inner life makes the bones rot. We need to pay attention to our inner life and the way that we view ourselves in relation to others. And so what about you? Are you aware of the spiritual quality of your inner life? For most of us, it's just far more natural to constantly react to all the external stuff that's happening in our lives, right? The the projects we're managing, the the relationships that are maybe a bit tense right now, our, our more pressing needs, some of the obstacles, barriers we may face to what we're trying to do. 
Right? Those kinds of thoughts come very naturally to us. It is not quite as intuitive for most of us to be still, to know that he is God and we are not. Simply be a human created by God for his glory. So how do we do that? I mean, there's a lot. Of course, I could say I do have just a few simple suggestions, things that seem helpful in my own life. About four times a year, uh, hopefully when I'm doing well, quarterly, uh, I try to set aside a full day to do a spiritual retreat. Carrie and I will kind of help one another take the kids for a day and, and make that happen so we can do this. Uh, I have a, a, a secret hideaways that I love to get to, and I'm not telling anybody about them. Um, but this can be anywhere. This can be anywhere. You can book an Airbnb for a day. If you like to camp, you can go spend the day outside. But the purpose of this time is very simple. It is to stop doing what we typically do, to stop thinking the thoughts we typically think, and to spend an entire day with God in his word, in times of prayer, maybe just enjoying some simple things, but whatever you do, not producing or working in any way. The goal here is so that we can start to see over time with greater clarity what is really going on in our inner life. I typically will identify some major life issue that I need to work through. In the past, it's been, for example, uh, grieving uh, a really tragic health crisis uh, that my mom went through or uh, seeking God's wisdom with our adoption early in the process and how to move forward with that. Typically, I'll identify a handful of scriptures I want to reflect on, maybe bring a book or two to read, write a few questions that I want to pray through. Sometimes I walk away with, with a really clear major takeaway, like a revelation. Uh, sometimes I don't. But always these times are incredibly helpful for revealing just the condition of my own heart. Uh, I've also written up a few prayer prompts that I keep in the back of my journal that I use regularly. Uh, these are basically just questions uh, written as if God were asking them to me, and they're all designed to get to the heart of my inner life so that with God's help, I can sort of inspect it a bit. Here are some examples. I'll format these and we'll hopefully share them online so you don't have to write them all down. But again, as if God is asking me, Danny, what distractions are keeping you from deeper intimacy with me? So I'll reflect, I'll reflect on that, jot a few down. In what ways might you be idolizing ministry success rather than serving me? Same. Think about it. Jot it down. Uh, what spiritual fruit do you seem to be lacking and why do you think that is? So I'll look at Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. Just consider, I'm not seeing this one very much right now. And then there's a series of questions that are designed to get my eyes off of myself onto the Lord. For instance, what blessings have you neglected to thank me for? It's helpful. Uh, what are you most looking forward to in the life to come? I love that one. It's just sweet times with the Lord there. Uh, which of my attributes are you most grateful for and why? And finally, a few questions just to kind of help the rubber meet the road. In light of these reflections on my inner life and relationship to God, what areas need attention? What, uh, what, where might I be veering off course? This one always hits very close to home for me. There might be a different question that does the same for you. For me, it is this. In what ways should you slow down and do less? I need to ask myself that question very often. For me, it's one of the most important questions, actually, to keep 
my self-understanding on track. If I start to trust in my own inner life and self-understanding, I'll tell you exactly where I will go. (laughs) I will run around this planet trying to achieve and accomplish every possible thing that I can as if that was where my identity and worth is found. I need this. In what ways should you slow down and do less? Here's a good one for all of us, I think. Um, What relationships are concerning you? And in particular, how do you want to be viewed by those people? It's really helpful to be aware of that last part. But here's the point. I can't be trusted to make sense of of myself and my inner life, and I also can't just ignore my inner life. Instead, my goal here is to expose my heart before God to let him guide me in making sense of this. I want you to see having a healthy spiritual life and a God-honoring view of self is not simple or or intuitive. It it doesn't just sort of happen on its own without prayer, without, without faith. And ultimately, it turns out there's also just one spiritual realization we have to come to if we want to make any progress with any of this. Uh, Unless we get this last point right, we will have very little hope for the other two. Uh, This is the most important wisdom we find in the Proverbs concerning our self-understanding. That is namely, number three, that God is sovereign over it. God is sovereign over it over our self-understanding. Uh, we'll often use this word sovereign without clearly defining it, but, but to make better sense of what I mean here, just consider what it would mean for a nation, for instance, to be a sovereign nation. The word is actually kind of a political word, and what it means is that that nation is not under the authority of any other nation. It is in complete control of its own affairs, and this is why it's such a big deal when a country like Russia invades a country like Ukraine. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's a sovereign nation. In other words, to be sovereign means to have the uncontested right to rule and to reign over whatever it is you're sovereign over, and that is exactly what God has over each of us and our self-understanding. He has the complete and uncontested right to reign sovereign and supreme over who we are. He has created us for his purposes, and he gets to define who we are and what that means. It doesn't even matter how important we may seem in this world. Proverbs 21.1 says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This God is sovereign even over the inner life of kings. Now, this poses, this poses the single greatest problem to our modern notions of the self because they are all built on this assumption that we are autonomous and we are independent and we are totally free to be whoever it is we want to be. Do you want to decide to be a different gender or no gender at all? Do it. Do you want to decide what it means for you to be a man or a woman, for you to be a husband or a father, uh, uh, for you to be a wife or a mother? By all means. Do you want to decide whether or not to stay married if, if you sort of, I don't know, lose interest? You could just use a little reset in your life and your identity. Maybe take a twist or turn this way. Go ahead, we're told. You're free to do it all. 
No one can stop you because the self is supreme. No, it's not. It is not. The truth is every single self was created by and for and unto this God. He does not just exist to affirm our every feeling and to validate our self-understanding. We exist to reveal his glory. And as hard as it may be for modern ears to hear this, it is very simple and it is profoundly true. If our vision of ourself and our life is ever at odds with his, we lose. We lose. We are who he says we are. Proverbs 21, verse 30, no wisdom no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Our self is not supreme. God is supreme. In fact, to live as though the self is supreme, again, is basically the definition of sin. We want to be like God with our own knowledge of what is good and what is evil. We want to define our identity, create our own meaning, and set the trajectory of our lives. Meanwhile, Proverbs 29, verse 21 says it this way, Many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This is profoundly true of our self-understanding. Throughout the Proverbs, we are encouraged over and over again to fear the Lord. In fact, the opening verses of the book, in them we are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words... <laughs> If you don't fear the Lord, not only are you a fool, we are, but you haven't even begun, you haven't even taken the first step towards wisdom until we fear the Lord. This is a refrain that runs throughout the entire book. Now, this idea of fearing the Lord is very confusing to some, especially these days when we tend to assume that any good God wants to do nothing but to constantly help and encourage us. But it is a fairly simple idea. It is not that we should be afraid of God in the same way that we are afraid, for example, of a horror film. It is not that God wants to scare or intimidate us in some way in order to cause us some kind of harm. That's not the idea. Instead, we should be afraid of God in the same way that we are afraid of standing with our toes at the very edge of the Grand Canyon on a particularly windy day. We should be keenly aware of his majesty and his grandeur. We should be cognizant of the fact that we are tiny and utterly insignificant by comparison, and we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we approach him too flippantly, it could spell disaster for us in a moment. It is so important that we approach this God with that kind of reverent fear and respect, not because this fear is an end in itself, but because that fear is a necessary precondition to virtually every other spiritual good and blessing we might hope to experience. So we read here in Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life 
And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. You see this? So so when you picture someone who fears the Lord, do not picture some traumatized religious person whose belief in God keeps them from enjoying any part of their life or being happy whatsoever. That is not the idea of what it means to fear the Lord. Instead, picture a joyful, satisfied person who sincerely loves their life. She's content with who she is, and she's actually not consumed with anxiety and insecurity. The point here is that the reason some Christians have that kind of inner peace is because inside of them, in their heart, they're terrified of the Lord. They know that he is far bigger than they are. He is sovereign over them. They have come to grips with this. They respect it. God has become the lens through which they make sense of themselves and everything else in all of life. Proverbs 9 Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Church, this is the one key to a healthy self-understanding. To truly understand ourselves, we need to know and fear the Lord. Of all the topics we will discuss in this series, this here may be the least intuitive one. It is frankly not that hard to convince most people that saving their money and using their words more carefully is a a generally good thing. In theory, at least, even most atheists would agree with this, but that right there is a bridge too far. This here cuts far too close to our sin and our idolatry, but more than anything else, this is what we need to have a healthy inner life. All those people out there who are so confused about their identity and their purpose as a human being, this is what they need, just like us. Not just a lesson in politics, not just some refresher on philosophy, or even just doctrine. We need to know and fear the Lord. This is the key. (laughs) That he would increase and we would decrease, in the words of John the Baptist. Or that we would crucify our life in the flesh and be born again to a whole new and everlasting life in Christ. If we truly want to follow Jesus, then we need our knowledge and fear of Jesus to overpower and effectively to replace our self-understanding. We need to surrender who we are entirely to him. Let him rule and reign happily over every little nook and cranny of our inner life so that he defines our bodies, he defines our purpose, he defines our roles, and frankly, we are so utterly terrified of him that we would be fools to even think we could possibly know better. That is how a wise person, I'm convinced, thinks of themselves. Close with this from from Proverbs chapter 3. It's a well-known proverb, incredibly fitting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he 
will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Church, let's remember that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are not found within ourselves. In fact, we have to crucify ourselves in order to see and experience and enjoy them. They are found instead in Christ and in Christ alone. And so let's give ourselves wholeheartedly to knowing him better and fearing him more as if our inner spiritual life depends on it because it does. Let's pray. Let's pray together now. God, we surrender ourselves, everything about who we are to you. We bring it before you, God, with holy, with humble rather and lowly hearts. We, we, we lay it before the foot of your cross. We're the only true, whole, and complete human self came and laid down his very self for our sake. We give you who we are. We ask that your word would shine a light in all of our lives to help us better and more clearly see who you've made us to be. Help us to understand our bodies. Help us to understand our sexuality. Help us to understand our roles and the relationships that you have designed for your glory. Lord, help us to make sense of these things. But more than all that, as we've seen, help us to tremble before you, Lord. To fear you. To have a sincerely lowly heart that reveres you. Because without that, we trust and we know we will never have a healthy self-understanding. Do this now, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.